Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. I, uh, there is so much else to do today um, that I am going to do my best to make the one point that I think God wants to be made for us today. Uh, you know, it, we didn't necessarily mean for it to happen, but, but trees have become a pretty big deal here at Oklahoma City First Church. I don't know that we ever were in a planning meeting or a strategy meeting. I don't know that we ever said, you know what, let's make trees a very, um, a very helpful metaphor for us. And yet, as I look around our building, it's, we kind of, there are trees around. I mean, right out in this hallway right here, we have a room that, that has multiple uses. It's the Gathering Sunday School Classroom. It actually houses a disaster relief ministry throughout the week, headed up by Caroline Wigman. On the outside of that wall, though, there's the Strengths Tree. And many of you have taken this Strengths, this Gallup Strengths Finder inventory. And if you have done that, and if you have given us your results, then more than likely, you are are a part of that tree out there with your name and then your strengths right there underneath. So there's tree right there. If you go back into Lisa Sanders' newly remodeled Children's Worship Center, she has made it a point to put trees everywhere out there. And it's because all these pictures of trees communicate this. And we have said this as a staff for a long time, and we've actually heard it for a long time from folks outside of our, com our congregation. But here's the phrase. Acorns become oak trees. Acorns become oak trees. And our hope is that we can, we can build the kind of environment here in which acorns become oak trees. And so you have these giant trees and pictures of trees all around in Lisa's room back there because that's how she understands her ministry, that, that we are trying to have this environment in which acorns can become oak trees. Make sense? When we decorate for Christmas, the, the lion's share of our decorating for Christmas is... Well, it's a bunch of trees, right? All trees, all the time throughout the Advent season and through the Christmas season, trees are a helpful metaphor for the Christian life. In fact, you've heard me say this to you, and we're going to expand on this. This actually is borrowed from Donald Miller, who wrote a book not too long ago called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and I, and I highly recommend this book to you. It's a great book if you're trying to figure out what kind of story that you're living. 
But he says, this is actually a chapter title, you are a tree in a story about a forest. I think at times Christianity has told part of the story but not the entire story, and when we don't tell the entire story, I think we sort of undercut some of the energy we need to be the people of God. Here's the deal. Whenever you hear Jesus using the language of kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, you need to know that Jesus is not talking about some time other than this time and some place other than this place. When Jesus says what he says about the kingdom of heaven, when we pray every week, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, every one of those statements is made in the hopes of teaching us how to better be the people of God. In other words, we're the forest that the world desperately needs for us to be. We are the forest, or at least trying to be the forest that God wants us to be to help and serve and give shade and comfort to the rest of the world. So far, so good? Make sense? So at times, we we leave off. We, We talk to you about Christianity, but we leave off on the tree part, and so we tell you about you. And we tell you all the different things that you need to be and all the things that you need to do. And if you have that mindset and then you come to a passage of Scripture like the Sermon on the Mount, well, good luck because Jesus raises the bar so high that if all we're talking about is individual trees, if that's all we're talking about, I want to be honest with you, you cannot reach that bar, not honestly. Not in your own strength, you just can't. Turns out, Jesus is not telling us just about trees somehow separated from the larger story of the forest. This terminology, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, I am not sure that it is super helpful to us who live in Western democratic societies. And so for years, lots of us have been trying to find other ways to say kingdom of God in ways that speak a little bit better. Because, I don't know if you know this, but we don't actually have kings and queens in our neck of the woods here. Right? We vote on our leaders, and then we spend a lot of time and money measuring how we feel, how we approve or not, our elected leaders. We do not esteem our leaders as kings and queens, and really, that's probably a good thing. But what that means is we don't really get it when we read Scripture and we read phrases like kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And so we have for a long time been trying to find other ways to say kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Other ways to communicate that we are supposed to be a present right here, right now reality that embodies the core nature and the dream of God. And so I've heard this. I've heard some people say, well, this is the realm of God's glory, the realm of God. So we are somehow the realm of God. That doesn't help me much more than kingdom, right? I've heard somebody else say, okay, in a world so politicized and in a, in, a, in a culture like ours so politicized, we Christians are our own party. Whoa. Now, I kind of like that every once in a while, but some of you just had a gag reflex thing, so we'll go on. We'll move on. <laughs> uh, this week, now... I'm going to use this metaphor recognizing that there are all kinds of holes that can be poked in it. And if you're that kind of person who immediately, having heard a metaphor, starts poking holes in it, just stop for a minute, would you? Let this metaphor do what it's, all it's supposed to do today, which is try to communicate, at least in some sense, what it is that Jesus is trying to say to us. In these very hard verses, the Sermon on the Mount, I want to say this to you. Where we read the terminology, kingdom of God, let's understand it just for today as we are the forest of God. 
We are the forest of God. And by the way, you're a tree in a story about a forest. And we are, as the people of God, since we're not going to say kingdom because we don't get kings and kingdoms and all of that, we are the forest of God. About forests. Um, forests are beautiful, and you fit that. You're a good-looking bunch of people. It's easy to pastor a church full of good-looking people. Amen? Okay, all right, amen, all right. Forests, forests have their own ecosystem. Now, some of you, as soon as I use the word ecosystem, you know more about it, and you know you know more about it than I do. So just bear with me as I try to work through this. Forests have their own ecosystem. It's own sort of almost contained quality of life. The different parts of the forest work together to, to bring about this different ecosystem. You probably already know this too, but, but here in Oklahoma, we have lots of different ecosystems. In Oklahoma, we have big areas of forest, but there's also big arid areas that probably better fit the definition of desert. We have a few mountains that people in Colorado call hills, right? We even have a lot of water. We have a lot of water. But we have some places in our state that are known as forests that can be differentiated because their ecosystem is different, can be differentiated from other places in our state. I want to submit to you today, just because I think we need it to kind of work through these verses, we are a distinct kind of ecosystem as the church, as the people of God. We have, a, we have a sort of a distinct sort of ecosystem that can be differentiated or contrasted with other ecosystems. For example, we have this particular kind of way of life as the people of God, but it's different in another industry, let's say. In another, let's say, in fact, in the entire business world, that's a different ecosystem altogether. There are different rules that govern the business world. We have our own rules and rituals and words and language that govern the way things happen here. We are kind of our own ecosystem. That doesn't mean that we don't have influence on other ecosystems. In fact, if we don't, then we're not the kind of ecosystem that God wants us to be. But we are unique amongst groups of people. Christians are or are supposed to be unique. You should be able to tell a difference between a group of people who participate within this larger ecosystem, the forest of God, and other people who refuse to do so or don't do so very often or very well. You should be able to tell some difference. I think the chief place where you should be able to tell a difference between this ecosystem that I'm calling a forest and any other ecosystem by any other name, I think the chief difference between the way that we operate and the way they all operate, the chief difference can be seen in the area of relationality. How we connect one with another. The way we go about friendship, relationship, the way we go about covenant, should be uniquely Christian, have the beautiful opportunity to do premarital counseling with people who have expressed an interest in having a Christian marriage. I say to them, we understand this word love and covenant because we say our words in the shadow of this cross that tells us all we need to know about love and covenant. The Sermon on the Mount does not so much measure the height of you, the tree, in the forest, 
The Sermon on the Mount tells us what our forest is supposed to be like by telling us about what relationships between us are supposed to be like. Is everybody still with me? I need to know. Just are you still with me? Okay. Well, we're going anyway. All right. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus is saying, this has been God's intention from the get-go. When you have read through the law, when you've read through the prophets, what God has been talking about all the way along, when God has said from day one, I want a people to call my own so those people can embody me to other people, what God's been talking about is this forest thing. Jesus has not come along to say, that's out, this is in. Jesus has come to say, here's what this is supposed to look like. You have misinterpreted along the way, perhaps, perhaps underinterpreted along the way, what this whole thing is supposed to be like and look like. And Jesus is now kind of playing the role of Moses up on a mountainside saying, here's what these commandments are trying to say to all of us about our forest made up of trees. Now we're going to kind of take these passages in reverse order, because at the very end, then, we'll be able to make some sense of what we do when we come to this table. And I'm going to move kind of quickly here. Let me ask you a question. This, this first set of verses we're going to deal with is about oaths, right? The promises made between people. What would you have to be like in a relationship? Better yet, what would your relationships have to be like if within those relationships, you never had to say these words, I swear or I promise. Do you recognize that when, you when you're asked to testify in a court of law, you're asked to swear that you're telling the truth, right? Truth of the matter is, Christians should be such odd trees, a part of an odd forest, that you shouldn't actually have to ask those Christians to swear that they're telling the truth. Christians so participate as Christ would in every relationship, that you don't have to have Christians say, I swear I'm telling the truth. If a Christian's lips are move, moving, you're supposed to be able to trust that what they're saying is true. Now imagine, in your relationships with every other person around you, that would include spouses, that would include your children or your parents, that would include any family member, that would include your friends, and that would include your acquaintances, your enemies and your opposites, do you participate in your relationships, all of them, in ways that are glorifying to God by regarding the other person as so important that every word that comes out of your mouth does not ever need a qualifier of any kind. I don't have to say I promise because I've said what I've said because that's how I value not just me and my integrity, which is good, but I value you and our bond, the connection between us. Look, hear this. Um, I want us to keep talking about the Jesus that lives inside of us, but we should never talk about the Jesus that lives inside of us to the exclusion of the Jesus that lives between us. Because if Jesus can't be demonstrated to be living between us, then the Jesus that lives within us isn't very powerful. Imagine if we lived like this, in a way that allowed our yeses to be yeses and our noes to be noes. In other words, are you trustworthy? Oh. Well, what about divorce? What about divorce? 
It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, this is reflective of an ancient world in which the man could, in, in so many ways, kick the woman to the curb and put her life in jeopardy so long as he had a certificate of divorce. But Jesus is saying here is, wait a minute, there is an equality to life now. <laughs> and there is a character to every relationship, including that covenantal relationship that prohibits divorce except for reasons of infidelity. Now, <laughs> this fits with the last thing that we just said about oaths and yeses and noes. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, shouldn't these covenants be Christian covenants in ways that demonstrate that our yeses are our yeses and our noes Knows. Uh, here's, a, here's a tougher one. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, this is, this is a tough one, right? I mean, you're not allowed to nod or anything like that. You're not allowed to say amen there, but I'll acknowledge for us that this is a tough one because what Jesus has done here, it seems as though Jesus has said something here that is contrary to human nature. Jesus has dramatically raised the bar so that you can't ever take that day and lean back against the wall and say, well, at least I haven't committed adultery. If in the process you have made an object out of another human being in the course of your pornography addiction or in the course of your thinking lustfully about that other, and this is not just an issue where men are concerned, by the way. What Jesus is saying is, what would the character of your relationships need to be like, right? If, in fact, you could regard the other as having human dignity and value, intrinsic value, so much so that you would not lust. This is a sermon for another time, but I want to drop this in here. I think we have done an absolutely catastrophically bad job of talking to our young people about sex. Catastrophically. Here, here, I can sum up for you decades and decades of Christian education having to do with sex. Ready? I'm going to do it right now. Ready? Don't. But because that has been the sum total of our messaging to our young people, we have left so many of them ill-equipped to deal with their humanity. And oftentimes... We do this a lot. We substitute rules for the harder work of spiritual formation. That, that's a good one. Somebody should write that down. So I'm going to say it again, right? We do this a lot in Christianity. We substitute rules for the harder, takes a longer time to work of spiritual formation. So we get this 15-year-old boy and we say, don't. But we won't have over the course of those years built that young man to a place where he can see a beautiful young woman and recognize her humanity her dignity, her value, the bond between them as Christians will not be solid enough. We will not have told that young man, hey, it's not just the Jesus that lives in you that keeps you from doing bad things. It's the Jesus that lives between you that allows you to see another human being as a human being. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And by the way, that is in the Bible. 
And Jesus is not here saying, we're getting rid of that. Jesus would like to keep that rule actually on the books, right? But Jesus actually better interprets it so that it actually hits us where we live. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry, what? <laughs> what Jesus isn't interested in, in is, is you someday leaning back up against the wall and saying, phew, well, at least I haven't killed anyone in weeks. <laughs> Jesus recognizes that for so many of us, adultery happens at the end of a process that starts all the way over here in lust. And murder happens at the end of a process that starts all the way over here in anger. Jesus is asking the question, not just of you the tree, but of you the forest. Hear this, hear this. Not just of you the tree, but of you the forest. Is your understanding of the power of relationships, the dream of God for relationships, is it so good and so deep and so understanding? Are you understanding what it is that God dreams for relationships that you understand that anger is potentially at least a destructive force in the bond that you have or don't have or used to have with that other person, spouse, child, parent, family, business worker, competitor, student, instructor, client, enemy, opposite. You see, in our forest, <laughs> in our forest, we understand the dignity and the humanity of our enemies. Understand that this God seeks to live not just in the tree, but in the midst of the forest. We understand the dignity and the humanity of our enemy, and we understand that God seeks to live not just inside of me, but between us. How odd would we be? How odd would we be if we functioned with that understanding of relationship and godly relationship as perhaps, perhaps the most powerful tool in the hands of God. Now we're gonna talk about this next week, so I'm not gonna say too much about it now, but do you understand that it actually changes the world when Christians love their enemies? So when you're offering your gift at the altar, do you not hate it? I do. I hate when Scripture makes a liar out of me. I hate it. Because it seems to be the implication in this passage of Scripture. Ready for this? It seems to be the implication that before you would offer your gift at the altar, that you would understand the value of relationship, understand the destructive nature of anger, that before you would come to this altar, let's say, that you would go and fix all of your all of your relationships, have them all ironed out and reconciled, all of them. We'll just wait for you to get back. See you in October, right? And so there's this sense in which Scripture judges us here. So what do we do? So what do we do? Do we say, I am not a tree in the forest right now? 
Do we leave? Or do we recognize what I'm sure our Savior recognized as well? <laughs> that when we participate here and offer our gifts, perhaps this is the point at which we are most likely to tap in to the ultimate inspiration that we need if we're ever going to be motivated to actually love people. Yeah, because ours is an open table. We are not that tradition that says, you better have this fixed before you come to the table. We're not that tradition. We are a tradition that says, unapologetically, we can be this kind of a forest. We can be this kind of a forest that elevates the priority and the power and the, the need, the necessary nature of relationships. We can be that kind of a forest that can embody God in our every relationship, but we also recognize that many of the trees fall short, including this one. And so we don't exclude you from this table because you fall short. We say, yeah, we knew that. And by the way, I do too. And we recognize that there is something, here's the technical term, salvific, salvific. In other words, something here that's powerful enough to save. In the bread and in the cup. And today, when we say save, we're not just talking about your soul. We're talking about your capacity to love. In other words, hear this. It is my firm belief that you will have the capacity to love your enemy and your opposite and your spouse and your kids and your parents and your competitors if you can somehow hook into the love that you have that you just don't have to pay for, that comes to you as a gift. If this love ever captures your imagination, it will unlock your capacity to respond in love to others. That is the nature of the forest that God dreams for us to be. Look, you're a tree, and we will continue to do all, all that we have to do, all that we need to do. We will continue to do all that we need to do to make sure that the ground the soil is fertile for tree growing around here. But one of the ways that we'll do that is by pointing this out to you. You're a tree in a story about a forest. As you come to the table today, and if you're coming to help, go ahead and come now. As you come to the table today, I want you to keep these two thoughts firmly in hand. The first is the line that you have heard time and again today. Dear God, I think I'm a tree in a story about a forest because you are. Second, second, know what you're coming to receive today. You're coming to receive as a gift, so don't come grasping. Come ready to receive these gifts that, when properly understood, can shape you to be non-scorekeeping relationship people. That can shape you to have the eyes to see people as Christ sees people. These gifts that when properly understood, and we're going to keep working at it until we understand more and more and more about these gifts and understand the God behind all of these gifts, when properly understood, these gifts allow you to use the word love and actually embody it. My hope is that strengthened as you will be by bread and cup today, that then you will have the strength because you probably have the person in mind 
don't you? My prayer is that you will have the strength, strengthened as you will be by the very presence of God, that you will have the strength to be reconciled. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, and as you do, and as we receive them, Lord, use them to strengthen us beyond what we could have been on our own. Shape our eyes so that we see others the way that you see them. In fact, God, shape our eyes so that we see not just the other, but the relationship, the bond, the connection that we have with the other. Use these elements, God, to shape our ears so that we can hear you, so we can hear you as you tell us what you think about the other on the other side of this contentious relationship and desperate need of reconciliation. Give us the imagination to understand ourselves as the people of God, as a forest with our own ecosystem that operates a particular sort of way, helping and nurturing, supporting life and hope. Give us the imagination to see that we are trees in a story about a forest that you are growing by your spirit. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.